from Kurtco Media. Montenegro, Panama, a small town in New Zealand you have probably never heard of. New York Times travel columnist Elaine Glusak is here to give us the inside scoop on the best alternatives to the world's most popular destinations. I'm Bruce Wallen, and this is Travel That Matters. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Travel That Matters. This is the podcast where we explore the world's most exceptional and meaningful travel experiences, and we meet some of the fascinating people who make them possible. My very, very special guest today is someone who has inspired so many of us to travel over the years, in particular, to travel to places we might not have ever considered going until we learned about them from her. I am talking about the New York Times travel columnist, Elaine Glusak. Elaine is here to chat with us today about a subject that I'm pretty much obsessed with at this point, and that is finding different places to go. Places that, you know, there aren't a million other tourists, but they still have, you know, all of the incredible things that we love about the, the places, the cities, the countries that, that may have become a bit too popular for their own good. Elaine has spent many years seeking out and writing about these types of alternative destinations. Now, as we'll hear from Elaine, the reasons for seeking out these types of destinations, these alternative destinations, they're probably more relevant today than ever before. You know, the issue of over-tourism might have waned a little bit during the pandemic, but it's not going to take very long for, for all these popular places to start filling up again. And, you know, in some places, America's national parks, for instance, the issue of over-tourism actually got worse during the pandemic. But this is more than just a, an issue of crowds, right? It's, it's the idea of spreading your tourism spending around a little bit. It's, it's exposing yourself to different communities, different environments. It's also the appeal of, you know, potentially at least, having a more authentic local experience where everything doesn't seem to be designed to cater to American tourists. Elaine is a fantastic resource on that front. A bit more about her. In addition to the New York Times, she writes for Travel and Leisure, Condé Nast Traveler, many, many other publications. And she was actually named the Travel Writer of the Year in 2019 by the Society of American Travel Writers. She's also just a really nice person with lots of great stories and lots of great insights to share with us. So be sure to stick around after my conversation with Elaine when we're going to go in a completely opposite direction and talk about two very, very popular destinations and what it's like to go there right now. But first, let's get the scoop on some of the world's most spectacular alternative destinations with the New York Times, Elaine Lusak. Elaine, welcome to Travel It Matters. Great to see you. Great to see you too, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. New York Times travel columnist. That's a, that's a pretty cool title for a job there. But I want to start with... You know, the New York Times is really known for this 52 places every year that they come out with kind of the, the top destinations for the year. It's such a like interesting list always, always these places, you know, some that I've never heard of. But can you just give us a little bit like a peek behind the scenes? Like, how do you pull that together? Like what goes into that and, and what's what's fun about that process? In the past, it was really news driven. So if something major was happening somewhere, then it would be a 52 place, like a major museum opening that kind of thing might might have caused it to to make the list one year 
But this year was really different. I think because of the pandemic, you know, travel is looking at itself and saying, how do we do this thing that we love to do and do it, you know, make sure that it's a force for good. We use a news filter, but we also use a sustainability lens this year to talk about the ways that travel could help, you know, people, communities, environments, and wildlife. So we talked about places that could use tourism and tried to steer people away from places that were over-touristed, for example. So what are some of the places that you've covered personally for the 52 places list over the years? And are there any that you've like, you know, I can imagine you submit a number of names every year. And are there some that you just so badly thought should be on that list, but but didn't end up making the cut for whatever reason? Oh, totally. Totally. Um, and and it's still not on there. But I like I told I always propose the Great Lakes because I, I think they're really fascinating. It is the the world's largest freshwater system. If nobody knows this, they should know that. And um, and this year there were a lot of new cruise, cruises coming to um, the Great Lakes, which is really interesting. So I I thought it should be there, but I haven't gotten it yet. Keep watching. <laughs> Talk to us a bit about the Great Lakes because I I agree there's a lot going on there. I you know you mentioned the the new cruise experience you've got. I, it seems like a great time to explore that region, but you know I'm not the local. You're the local. Tell us you know what makes the Great Lakes a, a great destination right now. I sort of want people to pay attention to them because they're so critical as we think about water and where do we get our water. The largest freshwater system in the world should really be paid attention to and its conservation. I think that these cruises, which are like these mega yachts really, will really show off the, I think, the wilderness that is very much around the Great Lakes that no one associates with it. There's a reason that Hemingway loved it, for example. I mean, it, it's, it's really beautiful. The fishing is fantastic pristine bays. There's wonderful coves on the Canadian side of Lake Huron that are just completely fossilized with trilobites, which is really beautiful. Wonderful bird watching, loons, you know, crying out every morning at, you know, at sunrise, sunset. Just some really great places to get away and appreciate the power of nature. Which I'm sure was one of the reasons why you got into this line of work. I can say this is for the listeners. I highly encourage you to to look up some of Elaine's work for the New York Times. And one of them, a, a brand new story just came out, and it is about your adventure with, I believe, your son and your husband on the in northern Iceland in a route that you called the Diamond Circle. Well, you you probably don't call it. It's actually called that, but it you know I it was the first I'd heard of it. And I know there's kind of more popular routes that people go in Iceland. Iceland has become extremely popular in the last decade or so. Can you tell us a little bit about this trip in particular and, and, and why that route was such an interesting option for you? This story started, as so many do, with I hate crowds. I, I really hate crowds. So I decided that we were going to go to Iceland in the kind of off-season, falls kind of off-season there. You know, it was a good time to go, you know, before the pandemic, Iceland was getting something like 2 million people a year, which is a lot. And that it's a small island. Yeah. But even when we were there, we're like, where there are crowds, there's crowds in this one little area of the Southeast called the Golden Circle, which has some really wonderful natural attractions like a geyser, a waterfall, national park. And we did those. And then we learned, we were heading to the north we were sort of looking for some snow and we went up there and we discovered that there was this analogous route called the Diamond Circle. And it has its own waterfalls and hot springs and whale watching tours and, and really wonderful attractions and far less traveled. I haven't been to Iceland, but oh. the one thing everybody always talks about is the drama of the landscapes. It's just, you know, one of the most dramatic places they've ever been. Just the geysers and the peaks and the oceans crashing against the rocks. Is it the same there on the diamond route? 
Oh, oh, oh it completely. There's a rift of the two plates, the American and the European, that meet, and they go from the southeast to the northwest of Iceland. So that same rift that you that people go to see in the Golden Circle, you actually see in the Diamond Circle as well. Literally, like there's like fumaroles that are like belching at you, like audibly, you know, belching steam coming out of the ground. You know, there's mud pots bubbling and, you know, and you can sort of take it all in from like a hot spring, you know, where they also have like a bar and give you a beer. You know, it's just, it's the best. Iceland really knows how to enjoy this drama, you know. But with no crowds, because I have seen the, I have seen the pictures of the Blue Lagoon where there are like, you know, thousands of people in there. And like you, I kind of have an aversion to crowds. And, and, and now that I know that about you, well, I actually already knew that about you because the <laughs> other story that you wrote that I want to talk to you about is, is also new and it's, it's called Go Here, Not There. And basically it's, it's what we're talking about right here. It's, it's the idea of alternative de destinations to the more popular, you know, and I, I often find that, you know, I often find that just by doing something a little differently, even if, you know, again, in your Iceland example, it's in the same country, just, you know, turn left instead of right. And you've got this, you know, similar spectacle without all the people. So can you tell us a little bit about this particular story and then also kind of what draws you to these alternative destinations above and beyond just the less crowds? Yeah, it isn't all about crowds. It, it's really about, I guess, encouraging people to appreciate the wonder in the world. I don't know how this happened. Maybe in the cert, you know, travel has just boomed in the last couple of decades. But for some reason, everyone got in line and decided that they all have to see this one tree in New Zealand that's like, it's a stark tree. I think it's on Lake Wanaka and it's growing out of the water and everyone has to go there and take a picture of it. And it's doing damage to the people that live around the tree, the land near the tree, the tree itself. And I just want to tell people, there's a lot of trees like there out there. Dude, go and find your own. Go and find another tree. Find the tree. Someone found that tree and made it popular on Instagram. And right. go find your tree. Absolutely. I mean, and that I think is so critical now is that idea that there, you know, everything's been discovered, but it hasn't. You know, there there oh, are wow. so many places to see. And I should say, this is nothing against the the more popular destinations. And it's kind of ironic that I am speaking to you right now from Cancun, which is certainly not <laughs> an alternative destination. But I got to say, it's actually my first time staying in Cancun and I love it. Well, wow. I'm at the brand new Garza Blanca resort in Cancun. It's beautiful. And it's, you know, a fabulous place for a vacation. It's not a lot of these things that, that we're talking about here, but there is a time and place for Cancun. There is a time and place for Venice, Italy. There's a time and place for all these places. And look, people love them for a reason. You know, there's, there's a reason why everybody wants to go to Venice. There's a reason why everybody wants to go to Cancun. Absolutely. And I would, would, would never say don't, don't go to Venice or, you know, don't go to Cancun. People want to see these great places and they should, you know, it's just a better of, you know, maybe doing it at a different time, maybe going in the off season, maybe going at different hours and maybe seeing something else nearby as well. So let's talk about a few of these alternative destinations. Instead of Venice, let's say, where where do you, where does Elaine Glusex think we should go instead of a Venice or instead of, you know, where whatever popular destinations you have in mind? Okay, well, we can start with Europe there because I, you know, near Venice, if you went down the coast, you'd go to Croatia, if you went down the other side of the Adriatic. But I'm actually going to tell you to go farther. I'm going to suggest that you check out Montenegro, which is just to the south of, of Croatia, same language. And it is just a wonderful package in the size of less than, smaller than Connecticut. You've got beautiful shoreline, mountains in the Dinaric Alps. 
You've got the Europe's deepest canyon for rafting on the Tara River. There's tremendous history. This was a a shore that was fought over by the Venetians and the Ottomans over thousands of years, and they both left behind wonderful remains. There are walled cities that are like mini Dubrovniks in like Budvar. There's tremendous um, history in the old kingdom's capital of Setinia. It's just full of like museums and monasteries and churches and art students painting pictures of it because it's so gorgeous. And people don't go there. So you'll have it to yourself and you'll have a really wonderful time. And right now there are some new resorts being developed that are really gorgeous. The new one and only on the Bay of Kotor. Uh, my favorite, if you are going, check out the Amman Sveti Stefan. It's incredible. It's on a little peninsula. It used to be a fishing village. It's on its own little peninsula off the coast. Red tiled roofs, walled city surrounded by the shore. It has a sort of a history of celebrity uh, celebrities going there from like Elizabeth Taylor to um, now that it's an Amman, um, the tennis star Novak Djokovic got married there. Yeah, I can second that. I have actually been to that Amman and I can't compare it to any other place I've ever been. Like you said, it's on this tiny little island that is, you know, you can access with, through a land bridge, but it's this ancient, you know, fortress that's been converted into this miraculous place. And the, like that setting there where you've got these beautiful beaches, the the perfect water, and then just like pine covered forests rising above I mean, I, I didn't realize it had the deepest canyon and the great river rafting as well. But I mean, like for how small that country it is, it, it really packs an incredible amount of activity and culture and history. And, you know, like you said, you're passing through, you know, if you're going from Venice and going down through Croatia, you're also passing through Dubrovnik, which has become, again, one of these far too popular destinations. An incredible destination. Once again, it really is a beautiful, beautiful city. But going a little bit further to Montenegro is going to open you up to a very similar setting with fewer people. Right. And you might even fly into Dubrovnik because maybe that's where you can get a flight, you know, and then and, and you'll get to see that. And then you can drive over to very easy, easily to Montenegro and spend your time there. We're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back to hear about more insider destinations with the New York Times' Elaine Glusak. Close your eyes and picture this. A new year of exploration with Qatar Airways. 2024 is not just another year. It's your canvas on which to paint memories around the globe. From the bustling streets of Thailand to the untamed beauty of Nairobi, the urban elegance of Singapore, and the peaceful shores of Bali, our world is rich with destinations waiting to be discovered. Every journey tells a story, and with over 170 destinations in our network, your story is just waiting to unfold. Planning your next chapter is simple with our intuitive website and mobile app, and rest assured, the price you see is the price you pay, no hidden fees. Where will your story take you next? Begin at QatarAirways.com. That's Q-A-T-A-R Airways.com. Hi, I'm Lale Arakoglu, host of Women Who Travel. Women Who Travel is a transported podcast for anyone curious about the world. We talk to adventurers and athletes. I've raced the God's Own Adventure Race, which is on the South Island and goes through the mountains down in the Southern Alps on New Zealand. That was eight days spent out in the wilderness. And chefs. 
Iranian food is home, it's family, it's love. And we share dispatches from our listeners. Ireland is full of these, I will call them ghosts of the past. From stampeding elephants to training sled dogs. We hear it all. The dogs will curl right up with you and it can be kind of cozy waiting things out. New episodes of Women Who Travel publish every Thursday. Join us wherever you listen. So what, do you have anything else in Europe that you find is a, a particular good destination for kind of getting a different look at the, at the continent and that, and that experience? I, I feel like Europe is so, there's so much there and everyone goes to Paris. Like, I don't know. Have you ever been to Brittany? Brittany's incredible. Um, I would suggest personally, that's been my favorite place to visit in France. A French friend once told me that they consider it like, you know, their, their rugged region you know, because it's really like wave bashed and and all the rocks on a certain part of shore are all um, a rose colored granite. It's incredible. You're like looking at this pink walled, you know, seafront. It's it's beautiful. And there are um, Celtic ruins there sort of to rival, you know, the old dolmens, the old uh, ancient uh, burial sites to rival like Ireland. It's, it's, it's incredible. And I don't think that's very well known. Well, I think that raises another point, and that's for me the appeal of these types of destinations is is increasing because one of the results of the pandemic is that travel has become more of a hassle, right? And will continue to be for for probably quite some time. And you know, in the old days, if you went to Europe, and we've talked about this on the show before, if you know, you might go to Paris and then Madrid and then you know Rome, <laughs> who knows where else? I think. For me, certainly, and I think for a lot of other people, the appeal of that kind of country hopping in one trip is going down, right? And so the idea of, well, if I'm going to Paris, rather than then going to Madrid and Rome, why don't I go to Brittany? Or why don't I go to Provence or, or Lyon, whatever it is? And I think that that, I, I, I really do believe that these alternative destinations, as we're saying, are, are more appealing to people who kind of want to dive deeper into one destination rather than hop all around. Yeah, definitely. Everyone needs to slow down. We're going to see a few, fewer things, but we're going to see them in a deeper way. I will also add that, you know, one of the wonderful things about being here in Mexico for the past year is that I have done that. I've gone to so many destinations here that I would have never gone to otherwise. And being able to go off root a little bit and explore and get to know this country better has been such a fantastic experience. And, you know, honestly, I wasn't choosing it because of global situations with travel and everything, but it really has turned out to be a perfect experience for kind of this, this new world of travel that we're living in. Exactly. Moving beyond Europe, where else, where are some, you know, a, I guess, destinations that you would compare them to, but then some places that you would suggest as an alternative? Yeah. So I was trying to think of, you know, different activities that people might want to do. And so I was thinking about skiing and I don't like to dump on Colorado because I, I mean, I will admit I go there every year. I go to Aspen every year. I love the variety of the skiing. I love the culture, the architecture, the history. It's great. But as an alternative, you might check out, you know, skiing in um, Canada's oldest national park. I think Banff and Banff National Park are um, incredible in winter. There's incredible variety. There's three ski areas there, and they're all on a linked pass. So like Aspen, it's really easy to, to go to a lot of different ski areas and ski them. Um, it has a great ski town, you know, lots of restaurants and breweries and very really walkable uh, in Banff. 
and there's tremendous variety. Like I think if you're taking a family with kids, like, you know, there's ice skating on Lake Louise, there's sledding, there's cross-country skiing, there's hot springs, there's First Nation tours you can do into the park, wildlife watching trips. And there's room to roam. When, when I think of family trips, at least my own family, like we need space and we need variety. And I think you get both of that there. That's funny. Banff definitely wouldn't be an alternative destination if we were talking about summer. No. I have been there in the summer. <laughs> it gets quite busy. But, you know, as a winter destination, that's that's fantastic. Now, did you write a story a couple years ago about the ice skating route through, is it in Quebec somewhere? Quebec. Where, where you can kind of like, there's all these trails essentially that, can you just tell us a little bit about that? It was super magical. Like, I, I just thought this was so interesting. In Quebec, uh, and I think they do this across Canada, but in Quebec, there's like a, you know, critical mass that you can build a trip around. They will sometimes use rivers and sometimes create artificial rivers by flooding a forest. And then when it freezes, creating these skating pads by shoveling it off and, and moving the snow over. And so you're like skating through a forest. It's, it's incredible. And these things are really popular locally. I don't know that they get that many tourists, but I, I went over a three-day trip. I went out. It's just outside of Montreal, basically, and did about four of them. And every single one of them was different and they were just extremely magical. If you like to skate, and even if you don't, it's just wonderful to be in a frozen flooded forest. I can't remember how long ago that was, but I remember reading that and thinking, like, I got to take my daughters on this trip. This sounds so fun. Great for kids. And you're not just going in a rink where you're turning left all the time. It's just exploring, you know, <laughs> this yeah. is really fun. Wow. Okay. So we've gone skiing in Banff. We've gone uh, to the beach and, and, and canyons of Montenegro. Where else are you going to take us Elaine? Okay. For you warm weather lovers, I got one. I'm going to pick for warm weather. I'm going to pick Panama over Costa Rica. Not that Costa Rica isn't great. I do think it's great. I'm not telling you not to go there, but, but one is super popular and one is not. They both share La Amistad International Park. It's on the border of the two in the north, in the north of Panama, south of Costa Rica. And on the Costa Rican side, they get thousands of people a day. And on the Panamanian side, when I went, the guard told me they get about 50 people a day. And it's perfect, incredible. And and the two will never meet because it's a it's a big park. So it's incredible, incredibly biodiverse. Really conveniently, you can experience all that biodiversity really close to the capital where you're going to fly in, Panama City. Uh, you can drive about an hour, less than an hour, to Chagresh uh, National Park, which is along the the canal route. It was created by the canal, and pull into this one road called Pipeline Road. And I was told to go there to go birding. So I, I pull in and I, I get out and there's like 12 toucans on a power line. 12 toucans. Wow. I mean, <laughs> w just waiting for me and my binoculars and my camera was like incredible. And Panama City itself is super interesting, sort of a melting pot, has a really cool sort of fusion food culture. So it's worth spending a few days there too. And so you would advise staying in the city, in the capital and going out. Are there also places to stay within the, within the park or? or yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Don't, don't just stay in Panama city, but it is an interesting city. Um, and we're spending a couple of days at, and there's a great museum devoted to the, the Bio Museo uh, designed by Frank Gehry right in Panama city. That is worth seeing. But yeah, a couple of days there, you know, get the food culture, get the old quarter and then um, maybe head to Chagresh. But also there's some really wonderful new resorts offshore in the Pacific that have their own islands. I'm thinking of Isla Palenque in the Gulf of Chiriqui, which is really beautiful. And then Isla Secas in the Pearl Islands, also very close to, to the city itself. 
it, it seems like Panama also has a lot of coastline that has yet to be kind of, you know, quote unquote discovered as well. Uh, I know South, like Southern Pacific uh, parts of Panama, great wildlife, great surfing. We actually, one of our last guests, Zach Rabinor, we were talking about how everything begins with surfing for in, in, to, in a lot of these destinations, like Costa Rica, for instance, kind of became a popular destination. And so I think Panama, I do think we'll see that as well. I think some of these places are going to become more popular. But right now, I, th I think you're right. There's so many areas of that country that offer a lot of the things that we love about Costa Rica, about Mexico, but just haven't quite been uh, explored as much, which is kind of funny given the you know very close relationship between Panama and the U.S. and that they they use they use the U.S. dollar. It's it's a very very easy travel experience. Super easy, and like there's so many connections on Copa Airlines right into Panama City, and as you said, they use the U.S. dollar. You know, we rented a car and, and drove all the way up to Costa Rica, and it, it was it couldn't have been easier. It's it's Highway One, the one that goes all the way up. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Okay, so that 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 is a beautiful kind of jungle wildlife warm weather experience. <laughs> Any other kind of alternative destinations that you that you recommend or that you're excited to go to? Yeah, I'm going to tell you about one that I don't. No travel advisor is ever going to tell you to go there, and no guidebook is ever going to call it out. But if you go to New Zealand, I'm going to tell you to go to Dunedin. Now, it's on the South Island. It's southwest. Southwest of South Island, okay. Way, way down there. I mean, you still want to go to Queenstown. You want to go to Fiordlands. Those are great places. Yeah. But if you love wildlife, I suggest going to Dunedin. It is the gateway to the Otago Peninsula, which is this really rugged, beautiful peninsula. Also very pastoral. There's a lot of farms in the highlands. But it has a lot of wildlife. And at the end of the peninsula, there's a albatross reserve. So you can get in these blinds and like get just feet away from nesting albatross and their babies. It's very cool. And then very close to that, there's an area where you can see the little blue penguins come out of their dens every night. Every evening they come out and you know, waddle down to the shore. It's really, really cute. And there's another farm on the shore where the farmer has developed a series of blinds, which you can get in and kind of watch for the rare yellow-eyed penguin. There is a beach that you can hike into where rare New Zealand sea lions are kind of like playing out their colony politics, just feet from you. They're surfing <laughs> off the coast. And cold again. But yeah, back to the cold. I'm sure it's a little chilly. The surfing is cold. Straight to Antarctica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Straight connection yeah. to Antarctica. Everybody was wearing wetsuits. That's true. It sounds like the Galapagos. I mean, you're talking about penguins, albatross, sea lions. I mean, I they, I just did my Galapagos trip, and this is what we were experiencing there. It sounds like quite a quite a variety of wildlife there. Yeah, and you know how New Zealand is. Everything is so particular to that country. Like you know, the kiwi they're not found anywhere else, and um, you can go offshore. There's actually a, an island off of the South Island called Stewart Island, which isn't that far from Dunedin, where you can take a ferry over and hike into the national park there and look for kiwis in the wild. That is a place in New Zealand that no one's going to tell you to go to except me. I like that. Insider. <laughs> very insiderly. Now, is this a trip you did with your family, with your husband and your son? Or Yeah, yeah. We did it as a family. We've been there a couple times as a family, and I, I have to blame myself. I think we took my son when he was graduating from high school, and then, of course, he decided that he should study abroad there when he was in college. And I'm like, could you pick a farther destination? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I, you know what? That's it. That's an interesting point too, though. Is okay. Clearly, you're someone who has traveled a lot with your with your child over the years, probably from a very early age. What kind of one trip stands out, like as a trip that you took with with your family that that you really feel like, wow, that 
was the that's just like the ultimate family travel experience. I think I really feel bad because I'm now going to play into your stereotype of me and <laughs> and say Patagonia. <laughs> oh, I, 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 you don't have to feel bad about that choice at all. Well, it is cold there. I have to say, even in season, no, just fantastic wildlife and guanacos everywhere and tremendous hiking. You know, we did a bunch of horseback riding out of an estancia with the cowboys down there. I, everything about it was amazing. Yeah, you know, I did that. I did that trip with my oldest daughter a few years back, and Patagonia, I'd say, was one of the top destinations on my list. Like, I I dreamed about going there for years. My expectations were way too high. You know, one of those things you're not supposed to do. You're not supposed to set your expectations high, but it it blew my expectations. It was even better than my ridiculously high expectations. I really, really, I mean, if I had to pick one destination on earth that I would go back to over and over again, I it's just it's magical. And, and the adventures, like you said, it's like, you know, we were doing something completely different every day. You know, one day it was a boat trip on a turquoise lake to this calfing glacier. You know, another day it was a hike through Guanaco fields. Another day it was horseback riding or, you know, hiking up to a ledge where there's condors. And it, it's just, it really is a, an adventure's paradise, but it doesn't have to be extreme. You know, it's, it's any level of adventure that you want. Speaking of which, you write about these experiences all the time, you know, and, and clearly your love for nature, your love for travel is, is why you do what you do. When was the last time you had a moment like this on travel that just reminded you of like, okay, this is what it's all about, you know, and this is, this is why I travel? Bruce, I think you're going to get this one because you did the same trip. I just got back from the Galapagos. I went with Ica Ventura, which I know you were on. And I, I'm a swimmer. I mean, I, I literally swim every day. So for me, like to be in the water is just, it's a joy anyway. And um, I didn't realize I'd spend so much time in the water in the Galapagos, which was incredible. And I'm swimming along and all of a sudden there's this penguin next to me. And I like, I'm, I just decide I have these fins on, right? I can go really fast. I decided to just follow him. And I just spent like 20 minutes just following this little penguin as he was a Galapagos penguin. He was like chasing these schools of fish. He didn't look like he was very good at catching. But just hanging out with him and sometimes he would surface like right next to me and it was just so much fun and I felt like extreme joy. I, I just can't explain it any other way. I felt like I was flying with him or something, but it was just really wonderful and I, I wouldn't have had that. I couldn't have had that experience anywhere else. It's amazing. And, and those moments, I, especially being underwater, snorkeling, scuba diving, whatever it is, like you are completely in the moment more than any other time in your life. I feel like, like we had a similar experience on our Eco Ventura trip where my oldest daughter found a, you know, spotted a, an octopus and we followed that octopus for probably 30 minutes. Who knows? Like we lost wow. complete track of time because we didn't care. It's just like we were a hundred percent focused on this amazing creature and the way it was darting in and out of the reef and, you know, the giant sea turtle swimming around us. And it's one of those things like, Again, you lose track of time because you are completely absorbed in what you are doing. And that is the ultimate when it comes to travel is when you don't even know what's going on around you. You're just completely focused on this kind of incredible experience in front of you. Oh, absolutely. And Galapagos, as you know, is is full of those kinds of moments. I mean, that was just one. And I'm sure your octopus was just one in a series of moments that were like that. It was just kind of mind blowing. Yeah. And like you said, I don't, I don't think I realized how much time you're in the water. It's, it's a very active, like exciting trip. It is one of those, again, I brought it up with Patagonia, but one of those places that exceeds your expectations. 
Yeah, I have to agree. For me, that was a pandemic hatch trip. You know, it was just like, I've been cooped up too long and I really need to do one of the big ones. And I'm so glad now that I did that. I'm like, now the floodgates are open. <laughs> Look, this has been fascinating. I think, you know, again, to the to the listeners, I highly recommend you you check out some of Elaine's articles, especially her go here, not there story <laughs> and her and her tale about Iceland and, you know, the one that I just remembered about the ice skating in Quebec. Great stories, great storyteller who has so much to share with us about all these amazing destinations that we should be considering. It's been an absolute pleasure having you. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. And now for the Wallen Wrap-Up. So great speaking with Elaine about all of these fantastic alternative destinations. I definitely plan to take up her advice on a few of these spots, especially Panama, which I've been trying to get down there for, for a few years now and, and have yet to do so. So that is definitely something I need to do. But for now, I want to talk about a couple of places that are most certainly not alternative destinations. Joining me to do so is Travel That Matters, illustrious producer AJ Mosley, who just got back from a trip to Amsterdam and Barcelona. AJ, you are fresh off a visit to two of Europe's most popular cities, I actually haven't been to Europe yet during this kind of uh, quasi post-pandemic summer. I want to know, did you feel like, you know, were you getting in there before the huge crowds came back or, or you know, is is over tourism back in full swing? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, happy to finally chat with our audience. Thanks for bringing me on. Finally have you on, yes. Um, well, I will say this was my first, our, my girlfriend and I's first time to Europe. So I don't have a lot to compare it to except for what my initial perspectives were. Um, but I would say, you know, it felt, felt really quite busy to me. Um, I, I had an initial idea of what I'll just say what I thought Barcelona was going to be like. And it really turned out to be what I, what I really thought was more like New York on the ocean. Um, it was extremely bustling and, and crazy busy. It felt like, so again, I don't know what it's usually like, but, um, both Amsterdam, which is, you know, quite a big commuter city with, uh, you know, Paris, and, uh, and London close by also felt busy. So yeah, think, things felt full swing, flights were full swing, um, busy, busy and popping. Well, I, I love that you brought up the expectations because that is something. So here, I mean, first time to Europe, I mean, how could you not have expectations, right? I mean, it's like, it's such a massive moment in our travel lives. But to go to Barcelona, to go to Amsterdam, I mean, sometimes we set expectations a little bit too high. And, and destinations disappoint. Did you find that with either of these places? Did they exceed? Did they meet? So I guess I, I, I've, I've gotten into a, a Spanish-speaking phase, so I had pretty high expectations to Barcelona. Bienvenidos. Bienvenidos. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Phase. You're right, yes. Yeah, so I, so I, I was thinking it was going to be more, and this is my ignorance, more like a little bit of a, a beach town. And um, it was, you know, like it's super bustling New York vibe. So it, it kind of threw me for a loop right away. So from that perspective, um, it was a little less chill and relaxing. So I would say yeah, it, was, it was a little a little worse from that perspective than what I thought. But to the, to the contrary, um, Amsterdam, I didn't have a ton of expectations, at least going there first. We picked these two destinations because they were English-speaking friendly. And so I was just going to you know a place in Europe that, that would feel relatively comfortable. And Amsterdam definitely did feel comfortable, but... We were, you know, blown away by the friendliness of the culture and the beauty of the city. Um, you know, I, the way Amsterdam set up—I don't know if you've been before—is I like to think it's kind of a uh, like an onion cut in half, 
like each layer of the onion is the canal, the canals that are kind of running throughout the city. Um, it's just a beautiful way the city was designed. Um, I think our, we took a tour and the guy said it has just slightly less bridges than Venice. So just to give people a perspective, uh, it's, it's all of Venice, Venice of the, Venice of the North, I guess. So were you, were you able in Amsterdam, which I've only been there for 24 hours and definitely not enough to, to get to know a city like that. What, you know, were you able to get off the, the beaten path and, and discover things on your own that, you know, there weren't a lot of other tours there? Definitely. Um, so one of the things my girlfriend does that I love the most about her is she's a big planner, but through a lot of these conversations, um, especially with, you know, when we chat to Crystal Thomas, um, it, it is going, you know, uh, going out and, you know, not planning, just having a, a bit of an adventure. So I, I, one, one thing we try to kind of instill into our trips is we call them PIBs, which is play it by ear. So built into the plan days, we have play it by ear moments, um, you know, a couple hours where we're going to explore the city. And so we, uh, we did that both in Barcelona and Amsterdam, but an example in Amsterdam we did is, you know, across from the Union, like across from the main city center area is more of an industrial area, North Amsterdam. Um, and so we decided to just kind of follow some locals. Everyone's on their bikes. So follow some locals on their bikes onto the boat that takes you across the city. And we discovered just this, these, this amazing kind of like hipster industrial brewery, like awesome farm to table restaurants on the beach out there. That was a completely different flavor of the bustliness uh, of Amsterdam that, you know, Amsterdam was amazing through and through, but this was just a nice change of pace of things. And so, so for that, that was kind of our, our off the beaten path in Amsterdam. And then in Barcelona, like it, you could just get lost walking through the alleys of the cities. It's just, it's almost like there's no sunlight when you're walking through the alleys. It's just your tower. You're surrounded by this towering, beautiful apartments and commercial restaurants underneath. So we, we built in these a couple hours where we'll just walk straight up the hill in Barcelona and discover, you know, the, the totally Spanish speaking areas that had beautiful happy hours on the veranda. And they're very good at happy hour there. That's for sure. <laughs> they are, yeah. Yeah. Wait, flibs. Did you say flibs? Uh, pibs play it by ear. <laughs> Did you make that up or is that? Yeah. Yeah. We, we made that up a couple I, years ago. I like that. I on. think you just coined a new term, AJ. I think that's great. And yes, I, you know, in Amsterdam, when you can, you can do it on a bicycle, it makes it even more interesting, right? What do you remember the name of this uh, this region in Amsterdam? Because now you're gonna have everybody curious. You know, I okay. I we're gonna have to. We're gonna, you don't. We're gonna have to find it out yeah. and put it in the show notes. So look for that in the show notes. Breweries on the beach with hipster locals in Amsterdam <laughs> after taking a ferry. That sounds very good for me. Okay, last question. Next time you go to Europe, are you gonna go back to you know the more popular spots? Will you go to a Venice, a Rome, a Paris, London, or? Are you going to follow Elaine Glusek's advice and go somewhere a little, a little off the beaten path? I'll harken back to something that resonated with me that one of our friends of the show, Bruce Poontip, said, and it was that you know, career uh, travel is a career. And this being my first trip out there, you know, it felt like a an elementary step, but the right step. So I think a little bit of both is in store for the future. You know, the big cities they have a lot to offer. They're comfortable for getting your toes, uh, dipping your toes in the water. But you can blend in some Elaine in there and have your pib moments where, yeah, you're in a big city like Paris and then just say six hours today, we're just going to wander around. So, you know, sure, some maybe like Southeast Asia or, or somewhere, somewhere again in South America that's a little more comfortable where we can have a blend of both. 
Well, awesome. Great to have you back and uh, can't wait to start planning that next trip for you. So I think we've learned a lot today about where to go when you want to get a little bit off the beaten path with Elaine Glusak. An absolute pleasure having her on, a pleasure having you on, AJ. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'd like to thank Elaine Glusak for joining us today on Travel That Matters. For more information about all the destinations we talked about, please check out our show notes or visit kurtco.com backslash travel that matters. This show is produced for Kurtco Media by AJ Mosley. Music by Joey Salvia. I'm Bruce Wallen, and we will see you down the road. <laughs>